0: personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds. They call me the Data Diva. This is the Data Diva Talk Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world with information that businesses need to know now. I have a special guest on the show. Uh, His name is Bogdan Grigorescu. Uh, He is in London. He is the VP and head of Quality Assurance Engineering and AI Systems at Affinity. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Debbie. Hello, all, and uh, thanks for having me on your great show. Um, Looking forward for a great discussion.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, I love your content. I like the things that you put out. You have so much common sense and deep knowledge and technology. And I will, you know, I think it will be great. Even before we started recording, we were having like really deep conversations. So I think this would be wonderful to have conversations uh, that we can share with the audience. Um, why don't we start by, why don't you tell me sort of your interest in, in data and AI and automation and sort of your co- uh, career trajectory up to where you are now?
1: Yes, uh, what being automated all the time, you know, it doesn't have to be that intelligent to help you a lot, like small things that you do day in, day out, becoming boring, but they're necessary to do. Uh, it makes sense to automate them. Uh, and, um, but obviously for the right purpose, so because you can automate something doesn't mean you just do it. You have to have that purpose in mind. Um, so whatever rule-based or not, it's all, you always have a case for automation. And uh, when you try to automate something, you have to go deep, you, of course, you have to understand, you know, what I'm, what I try to solve, like in any domain, that is no exception. But you have to go, you have to understand really well how you're supposed to work and what are you using and who are you talking to and how you collaborate and so on. So when you automate, you have a lot of failure at the beginning. Automation at the beginning is a steep effort. Then it pays off very quickly. But at the beginning is very costly in terms of effort for a short while. It's a spike. So that has to be very well understood. It's not something that you just you know spend an hour or two and somehow your problem is resolved. It's not gonna happen. Um uh, so uh that's why you have to be careful you know what you automate and when because that would be a um you know make or break. Um but it 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 you know people have been automating things for up uh, you know centuries m- millennia in various forms or shapes um I started in uh, electronics and telecoms engineering and um, all about automation, making my life easy first and then maybe making other people's life easy and saving a lot of money in the process. Because in the old days, we were like repairing, you know, computer boards. I'm not talking personal computers. I'm talking um, industrial robotics. I was in industrial robotics. And so what you're going to do? Just just replace board? What if you don't have a board? And most of the time we didn't. So you have to repair it. What if you can automate certain tasks? Makes sense. So that's how I started. And, uh, you know, testing all the time, experimenting all the time. Um, and uh, uh, I was always a quality mindset type of guy trying to do the right thing not always succeeding of course <laughs> most of the time didn't succeed at first uh, but you know little by little getting there and so it became a way of working uh, trying not to cut uh, corners uh, and um, i uh, start learning more about the current state of ai system about four to five years ago with natural language processing and conversational experiences um, and since then, it has uh, had been a roller coaster. I uh, got involved with uh, standards for AI systems, with the ethics aspects uh, deeply, and of course, the data around it. You know, how should we treat uh, data and especially personal data in today's world that is so different from even 10 years ago? Well,
0: thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, I don't know. I think... There's a lot going on. Uh, we have talked a bit, and I would love to get your thoughts on automation and the human impact of that, um, because, I don't know, I'm seeing a lot of people try to, you know, I don't know, like brain-computer interfaces, you know, trying to sort of bring in that human element in different ways. What What are your thoughts about uh, kind of automation and the human element?
1: Um, it's, in my take is, it's, it's more, um, non-technical than technical. Um, I mean, the technical aspect is of course, very big and very important and very complex, but, the but the psychological aspect trumps it because very small changes makes a big impact on people, uh, but little impact on machines. Um, so, um, and, and also people's behavior change. Uh, but machines don't change. Um, So uh, that interaction is more or less continuously reshaped in some way or form. Um, And as I said, even if it's a small uh, change, it usually has an important uh, impact, positive or negative on people. Um, Case in point, um, perhaps these VR headsets that become became better and better in, you know, year on year. I mean, they're still awful. That, that, that's the word is awful. Um, their health hazard, uh, if you wear it for a long time, obviously not just two or, two or three minutes, but we're talking half an hour plus, um, really health hazard, um, headaches, a, a, a number of symptoms, um, eyes get affected and so on um, plus they're like they are bulky uh they are bulky uh, i'm also There's a big question mark about the since i have to communicate over the internet right so you have a modem uh, similar to a mobile phone not exactly the same but uh, but nevertheless it's just next to your brain continuously for hours is that good in the long run well as we know it's not good to sleep with a fridge in the same room. That's a that's, a, you know, doctors will advise you against that because in the long run, you develop well, it's cancer cancer. Gene. Uh, so it's a major health hazard. What about if you have much smaller electromagnetic field, but just next to your brain for hours, seven days or five days a week for a few years? Could that be a health hazard? I think so, uh, no matter what the hype say. Um, so that's machine interaction right there, but done right, it could be very good. For example, doctors operating remotely, right? It's also machine uh, machine human interaction, but it has very positive results if it's done right. Of course, easy to use, having this you know very low latency, so doctors can see. In, pretty much in real time what's happening that's very important high precision and so on doctors get that feedback and uh you know a little bit of help if they're just about to go amiss uh by a millimeter or so so all that feedback in real time which is accurate that's also very that's all part of human machine interaction uh but let's not get overhyped here um you know it's it's Incremental steps, and then every once in a while, there's been a breakthrough. Uh, But this is once in a while, right? This is not every year or or every two or three years. It's once in a while. Uh, And it's all add up across the year. It's not going to be quick, uh, and it's going to improve continuously and um, pretty much like uh, in automation. Start a little bit small, but with scale at the back of your head, design for scale but don't go all in at the beginning because it's not going to work out. Uh, just start start small, automate the small things that all add up, but do it in such a way that you can scale up big.
0: Excellent. Well, what are your thoughts about uh, the impact of automation on privacy and security? Um, you know, there's... There's more data out in the world. There's more information. There's more stuff that needs protecting, right? Uh, So I think that automation has changed the way we think or way we should think about privacy and protecting data and information. What are
1: your thoughts? In today's world, um, there's a few factors that enable planetary scale automation today. Um, Infrastructure is one. Uh, cost of hardware is very low for the power of computing that, uh, you know, the storage, the, the capacity and the performance of networks and so on. So very, uh, very, very, very low cost compared to say 10, 20 years ago, let alone 50 years. Uh, but, but it's just 10 of 15, 20 years ago. Um, is it, like more than 10 times lower in real terms. Uh, so, so infrastructure is one. Um, The other one is a mobility. Um, Again, you can access a lot of stuff um, from almost anywhere in the world. That was a dream uh, 20 years ago. So we're talking like video calls and downloading big, big, even movies, even movies like 20, 30, 50 gig on the go. Uh, Not in seconds, but certainly not in hours, much faster than that. Um, uh, storage, I mean, you know, my iPhone has what, 128 gigabyte storage. 20 years ago, a computer, a powerful computer had that much desktop. So, you know, that there's that. So, so the mobility is another factor. Then Wi-Fi everywhere, almost like it's widespread now and, and we have Wi-Fi six and, uh, and uh, Wi-Fi six, uh, X it's, uh, coming up, which is even, uh, it's actually a breakthrough. Um IoT is coming up with edge computing, which means a lot of computing happens at not at source, but on the device. And the device usually is where people are. So on the go, you have a lot of processing ongoing and the latency is so low and so so yeah so low uh, that is essentially for people is real time. Uh, autonomous vehicles, they're not really autonomous, they're level 2 slash 3, but you get the point. Drones, semi-autonomous drones. Uh, computer vision, uh, much more developed now. So um, you know, Shell, for example, is using uh, drones with computer vision and deep learning models behind the scenes to assess the state of pipeline. So instead of sending engineers for kilometers and miles to investigate, they just go to the point exactly where it's it's a problem, um, and now they will. I think soon they will start using drones uh, and well, robotic drones to paint, to paint. So not sending even not sending even people there to repair certain things. Uh, so that's also a form of automation, um, AI systems, computer vision, robotics. Uh, autonomous, semi-autonomous vehicles and uh, deep learning. Um, but that uses a lot of data. A lot of data points from the environment, uh, and not just from the environment. Uh, and what that means for people is that there's a lot of personal data is being collected. Uh, is being collected, is being processed, is pre-processed, and also is being used for inference, for example. For example, insurance company, they get the data from the customers, mostly legally. But then, in order to assess the risk, they infer using machine learning models and other techniques. And so they create data out of your data uh, that is used to calculate your risk and your premium. There's no laws bearing that, but is that fair? I think consumers are pretty much doubtful of the fairness of that. Um, The other thing is um, social media platforms and trackers all over the place and impersonating this and that. You have your picture in some conference or in your LinkedIn profile, on your Facebook profile that gets... Uh, collected by scrappers, automated scrappers, that scrape the web day in, day out, and using a crude computer vision model, they can just, well, impersonate you. Obviously, they will need a little bit of other personal data, not just a picture, but you get my point. Uh, you can be impersonated much easier than, say, 20 years ago. um that happened um the bots the bots uh again social media is probably the most prominent example it's full of automated bots uh spreading disinformation, misinformation or just hype, or just uh, you know fake likes fake um Comments just to raise the awareness through the algorithm of the social media to, you know, make a certain post more prominent, and so the author of that post, which is a real person, gets more attention because of those bots. You know, the fake reviews on Amazon and so on, we know, but that's all automated. Um, the fraudsters calling uh, thousands and thousands of people through bots, dialing bots. Uh, they also. Now um, it's up and coming. Um, uh, full impersonation, so not just a picture or the voice is both. You can create not you not anyone. It is still the barrier for entry is very high. Uh, create a video of you know me or yourself, Debbie, uh, talking about something that goes actually against your beliefs. And it looks quite real. Now, this is in, in its infancy, but it's not being done at very low scale. Nice. Um, so, um, so, what that means for people is that people have to be aware that the most important asset today is their personal data, not, is not their house, and is not the money in the bank account. That, by the way, that's all for personal data. The, the money in your bank account is personal data. But it's your personal data. You can't touch it, but it's part of, of your identity. What makes you yourself. Uh, and it's out there for the taking. Yeah, there is GDPR and the data privacy laws and this and that. But how do you know? Who accesses your personal data that you even gave your consent um, because it was asking, okay, you are okay with giving your consent. And you say, okay, the social media platform will get it. Just the social media platform? What about the ISP in between? What And what is the social media platform doing with it? Do you actually know? It's selling it legally. To whom? You don't know. There's many entities, in fact, that will buy it in some form or shape, Uh, piecemeal or the whole lot or, you know, wholesale. The fact is, that's a piece of you. Your personal data, it's a piece of yourself. So so that's the situation right now.
0: So let's talk about trust. Uh, As these systems become more complex, they're gathering more data, uh, what the regulations are trying to do is create more agency for people, but a lot of this, in my view, has to, in, in order for people to want to to give data to these systems and, and see it as a benefit to them, it has to have a trust factor. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Um, well, um, trust has been destroyed, um, like completely destroyed. Uh, Because of, just talk about it, the masses of bots on social media, the impersonating, the fakes, the deep fakes, audio, video, and now audio and video, you know, the fake reviews that, you you know, I personally spotted bots on LinkedIn trying to connect with me. I'm not sure I got them all, but I certainly got quite a few. Um, also, uh, as people become more aware of this, you know, shady practices of just getting their data, i.e., pieces of themselves, because that's what this personal data is, um, they just don't trust platforms that much anymore. Certainly a lot less than three or four years ago. Um, and, um, um The access to data in general uh, is the biggest driver for quality, but also the prime factor for digital divide. And, uh, you know, if it's silosification, some people talk about colonization. Yes, it is a form of colonization. Uh, It is, it is. it, it, It might sound preposterous, but it's real. Because access dictates everything. Access di- in healthcare, no matter how advanced it is, if those advanced methods of you know curing bad diseases are, are are really not accessible to most people, what's the value of them? They exist, but but only one in a million can access it. It's the same with data. Uh, so who has access to data? um drives uh, and and uh, and, act, uh, and reliable access to data I mean not patchy access. not you know now you have access and tomorrow you don't really have it and then you have it again not that that's that 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 has no value. That's a problem. but reliable access to data um, re- reliable access to average data it's way better than unreliable access to high quality data. I agree. So, 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 but, but you see, that's how bots operate. They have reliable access to data, to masses of data. Most of it, most of it is not quality data, but their access is reliable. That's the key thing. So they scrape all these masses of masses of data, of which they may use only not even 1%, but they have it reliably and they do something with it day in, day out. And, um, and that's why they have such a massive impact because of the access that they have.
0: I agree. I agree. I think uh, you, you touched on a, a couple of different points. So one is touched on the digital divide, and that's something I talk about a lot. About, you know, I think we're creating like a digital caste system where people have who have access to data will have more opportunities, they'll have, you know better insights yeah. to be able to do things and people who don't have access won't, won't have that for sure. Um, I would love to talk about, um, there was an article that you posted. Just, just
1: sorry to interrupt you. That's, you know, this digital divide is really evil. Uh, is really, really evil. And it's, it's bad for the super vast majority of everybody on this planet. Not for everybody, but almost everybody. It's like in a classroom full of pupils. They, people sit in rows. And those that are on the front row or the second row or up there at the front, they have better access to what? To the teacher, you know, they, they hear better, they, you know, they can make themselves heard, right? Much easier. Those that are, that are at the back, particularly if those if they are not not that tall, they are like almost invisible, they are not heard. So it's 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 similar to that, obviously on a much, much bigger scale, of course, but it's similar to that. Um forgotten, forgotten unless um useful. Um they don't have a say. And if they do, is um by um how do I say by being allowed to. By being allowed. Now you're allowed, now you're not allowed. Right. If you if you if you feel a purpose, then you're allowed to speak to a certain point. If you don't, then you don't exist. That's what digital divide does.
0: Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Absolutely, it's definitely a huge problem. Um, I would love to talk about. There was a a, a Brookings Institution report that you had posted about. Uh, I think it was called uh the anatomy uh no automating harm yeah so it's talking about digital you know things like IoT devices and then collecting data and can you talk a little bit about this? This is a fascinating study I thought it's
1: it's all about care in the end it's all about care. Do you care about the data subjects or not? More than more than just a little. Do you really care about the? Because because if you don't, then and you deploy these AI systems, and which are essentially automation, intelligent automation, then what what's going to happen is that um, you're going to automate hard. There will be there will be major negative impacts that will scale by themselves because of the nature of automation, AI systems. Do not have uh, written rules like rule. They are not rule based. The output becomes input, or part of output becomes input, and based on wagging and and uh, um, not going to go into technicalities. But the output has a major influence on uh, the input has major influence on the output, and the output becoming input. You get my point, and that done at really big scale. Means that there will be unforeseen impact in remote jurisdiction. For example, um, very, very much simplified, but real nonetheless. A company in, say, the US it doesn't have to be US. I'm, I'm just saying US could be any other uh, Western country, for example, um, has some troubles and they have to make redundancies, or actually cut the orders significantly. Now, they have a number of uh, vendors, suppliers. Um, and those suppliers, at least some of them, rely on uh, services from, let's say, Africa, Far East, Southeast Asia, remote jurisdictions. Now, they have a partnership those remote jurisdictions, those companies in, the, in Africa have no idea who the end client is. Their client is is is, a, is that vendor we're talking about, that supply services that are just being cut in the US. And so they lose business. Um, and so they have to cut significantly their orders back to the African uh, service provider. The African service provider has to lay off people en masse. Those people have no idea why. It just happens. They have no idea why. Even their bosses have no idea why. They just say we can't get orders anymore. We've done nothing wrong. We're always on time, quality, good on price. They can't. They don't have the money to to place that many orders anymore. We have to lay off people, but they have no idea why. And um, that's the nature of uh, global economics, but. When these decisions uh, rely on output from AI systems, that's where the problem comes if uh, there's not a good observability there and the output is not actually understood. is taken at face level because it's easy, taken at face level. Um, and so those decisions may have been very different, or done in a very different way, or, or put in practice in a very different way. Should that output be questioned more, uh, or, or actually understood? Yes, actually, yes. We this this is a best, best way for we we have we we can't do do it any other way. And at least try to explain, give some heads up to people. But if it's done for speed. Then, you know, computer says, so, cut the orders in half, lay off, uh, you know, thousands of people, and that's that. And the data subject, i.e. the people that suffer, have no idea why. Uh, In, uh, I think, 2020, uh, there was a case in one of the U.S. states um, where somebody was, uh, somebody, a man, a man was in a court of law accused of uh, doing something unlawful. It, it was not something that serious to end up in jail, but nevertheless end up with a criminal record. And so you have a human right to challenge the uh, the decision of the judge and ask for clarification, i.e. why I am you. How, how did you get to that conclusion? That I'm guilty. The judge is obliged to explain. Here is a problem in that case. In that case, the judge based his decision in part on the output of a um, AI system. Now, he did not know why the AI system had that output, so he asked the company that was running it uh, so that he can explain his decision. And he was refused explanation um, because IP rights were involved. We can't tell you because that will jeopardize our trade secrets. That's it. So so the person, the accused, has his human rights breached because of invocation of IP rights. Because the output of the AI system was not explained, uh, which in turn would have explained uh, the judicial decision. Or may even have overturned the judicial decision. You never know. Uh, and so um, that's another impact of, uh, of uh, automation and the lack of regulation and laws in respect with IP, IP rights. Yeah. The systems.
0: I, I feel like it has to be a human, right? I, I don't think, I think humans have to make the final judgment, right? Even if they use AI systems to gather information and insights, I don't think it's acceptable to say, well, the computer told me this or the algorithm told me that. I mean, it has to be deeper than that. I'm hoping to see more kind of human judgment on the top of these types of decisions. What are your thoughts?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, people, human in the loop is, it should be, in my opinion, should be legislated. Um, Do not externalize decisions, no matter... How small to machines? Um, the output can point into one direction, but decision should always be human and not taking that output taken at face level and just, you know, that's it. Computer say, so this is what I'm going to do uh, as a way of working. Um, I think that should be actually legislated because the risk is just too high. And, and because data travels across jurisdiction in, in unforeseen ways, the impact may be in a totally different play, part of the world. It, it, it's not always that it will be local. You cannot you cannot foresee that. That's the point. Um, because of the speed, because of the globalized economies, and also because of you know data travels, Across countries, continents, and it does travel in unforeseen ways as well. Uh, and so, and so, nobody could actually understand the impact. So it's better safe than sorry. Uh, human in the loop at all times.
0: I agree with that. Uh, well, let's talk about a story that's been in the news. Um, you posted about this as well. Uh, I. I, you know, I read it and I just thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, this has to do with uh, the Google researcher who thought that a chatbot had become sentient. Um, you know, I, I, I know what you're going to say, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, and I'll give my my thoughts as well.
1: Yeah, this is, um, this is the, you know, when, People use things, things, objects, tools, and so on. Um and um, they use them regularly on a daily basis or you know, regularly. They uh, they pers- per- they they could. they they personify them. It's like they it's be- it's personal. And so they said when it's broken, or that they have to let go because it's beyond repair. They, you know, they become fond of those objects. It, it, it's psychology. Um, but the same is true with non-physical objects. Um, but non-physical objects that we interact with, right? Like in this case, this uh, chatbot, which actually has a. Um, large language model behind an AI system, but your interaction is to a screen and you just hear, you just hear the voice, which sounds quite natural. Mm-hmm. Um, you also, if you want to believe something, you want to be convinced of, of something. You're not yet convinced, but you want to be convinced. It means you already have convinced. and um, and it's a kind of bias, right? You're, you're not, you're not like anything but neutral. Um, very unscientific, of course, uh, and you know, not much critical thinking there. You don't question much because it's kind of it's uh, reinforcing your bias. It's reinforcing what you want to believe. Oh, right. I ask all these tough human-like questions. It cannot know that, is it? Well, why? How do you say it cannot know that? Put it to a Turing test. Put it to two Turing tests. Ask somebody that knows about that Turing tests much more than yourself. Uh, You know, talk to, you know, more people in the domain. Ask their opinion. Experiment hundreds of times, thousands of times if needed, in all sorts of contexts. The more diverse, the better. before you can actually reach a conclusion so yeah uh yeah. you're gonna have sentiments about it and feelings about your work that's fine but don't let them cloud your judgment because that's very dangerous uh, and unscientific um and um the hype plays a lot into this yes right? the <laughs> <random plus hype-inary laughs> system that has been going on for quite a while now and it is it, just reach absurd, absurd levels. Uh, essentially, it pushed the science aside, swipe right. it out to the carpet. And you see it in the masses of paper that, you know, have dozens. And in sometimes, it, I mean, they have a list of authors like one, two pages long. What kind of, I mean, they contribute. How can you have 50 authors on a paper? I, I don't know beyond my, but anyway. And, and, um, you know, they done like in a five year plan. You know, you don't write papers by the dozen a year. You're not going to get funding for your lab. Therefore, you're out of a job as an academic. So the academics now they push to be salesmen and just write, 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 no matter what the quality is. And so obviously you have to push the science aside because science means, you know, you run one or two papers high quality a year. That's about it because it takes time because you have to experiment a lot, because you have to go to peer reviews multiple times. You have to be open to criticism before you publish it so that you do the right thing. That is very time consuming. I mean, how many papers did Marie Curie wrote per year? Right. Probably not even one in average. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because she was busy experimenting in the lab that she built with Pierre Curie with her own hands in her own free time while she was teaching at university. But that's a true scientist, is it? And so the hypering has a lot to answer uh, for that. Um, And um, the other part is psychological, I believe. As I said, if you want to be convinced about something, you already have convinced. And you just try to reinforce your bias no matter what. So unless it's pretty much obviously false, you're going to be inclined to believe it. And mm-hmm. this, you yeah, I we have to question everything really, uh, as a scientific method. We have to question everything uh because the aim is to do the right thing. Not because we don't question because we can question, we question so that we are sure we are doing the right thing. And we may not be right, and then we have to change our opinions, and that's fine, right? That's fine. Um, but but that's that's my opinion on this. Um uh, you know this chatbot that some people believe it's sentient and has feelings and all that
0: there's a psychological element here as well uh, I think and so to me a parallel in this would be maybe inverse reality or you know people creating deep fakes right so sometimes your brain sometimes can't tell the difference between something that's real or fake so you may have real emotions or feelings or thoughts about these things, but that doesn't make them real. So being able to, to do, like you say, do the science, not sort of go on the feeling is very important. But you know, I think one of the things I'm concerned about is when people are in, in systems like in VR systems where they're immersed and they're having reactions or feelings towards things that aren't real, uh, but they're having real physiological reactions to them as if they were.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, I, I struggle with this um, so-called virtual reality. I mean, why would you even want that? Um, there are, of course, some, some practical use cases, but not for the general public, I believe, at all. Um, for example, in research, of course, um, medical research, for example, and simulation. But you know, simulation has been around for a for 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 a long time. You know, in flight simulation and space and and so on. So it's not like it's useless. It is. It is useful, but not for for the general public. I mean, why why would you would you stay glued to to a screen of sorts wherever it's a headset a vr headset or just a computer screen where you an avatar that is supposed to represent you i mean bytes representing you come on man uh <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and in in a in a very unsafe environment though it's, you may believe that it's totally safe no no it's not not safe at all uh and don't don't get me started on the network uh, vulnerabilities of dns and cdn is just unsafe believe me technically it's unsafe psychologically it's unsafe but it's presented to be safe and we already have seen women being uh, uh, harassed in virtual reality already i mean how safe is that and uh, <laughs> and and the thing is you you are static you are static for long period of times which is very very unhealthy uh, and for what? Like, what do you want to be in the end? Do you want to be a couch potato, just looking at the screen for hours on end a day? Right. This is what you want. It's it's all it's like, you know, the ultimate question in the in for the humankind, right? Shakespeare put it as to be of, of or not to be. That is a question. What do you want to be? Not to do. Not to achieve. But to be, because it's not the same thing. To be, do you want to be a good person? Do you want to be, you know, enjoying comfort only? Because comfort is a big risk, right? Comfort is, you know, making you lazy um, and procrastinating and uncaring. Because in the end, you're going to chase your comfort. You're going to do whatever it takes to get your comfort uh it's kind of addictive I would say if it's if it is too much of course you need some comfort for sure but if it if it is too much then it's bad so is it really this is I I just fail to see how how uh, being immersed in virtual reality will make you a better person or help you become a better person I I just don't see it I mean I might be stupid but I just don't see it And, and uh if somebody can explain to me in uh, you know um, in plain English, oh you two at least two or three hours a day in virtual reality, this is what you is gonna help you become. Not do, but become. Right. I'm gonna take in. I'm I'm gonna take you. Is that to you know, demonstrate it's gonna help me become a better person? I'm gonna spend three hours a day on virtual reality. No question about it. But well, until then, let me, <laughs> let me doubt about it quite a lot.
0: Wow. So if it were the world, according to Bogdan, and we did everything you said, what would be your wish for privacy, AI, automation?
1: What would be your wish? Kidding. Care about your data subjects. Data subjects mean the people that actually own that data that is used by AI system to create jobs, to uh, reduce costs and inefficiencies, to make people happier because they don't have to do repetitive work. And now they can concentrate on interesting topics and work, uh, making their life better. You know, But you have to care. Everybody has to care. From the junior engineer to the business owner to the venture capitalist that sponsors it to the project manager to the end user in the company. And also the data subject should care. The data. What is my data used for? By whom? Have a good idea about it. Not in every single detail. It's not needed, but have a good idea about it. So caring, caring about it all. And not just about one element, wherever it's increasing revenues or cutting costs, and that's it. that yes, but a few other things as well in balance. Um, that's that's what is my my uh, my wish. Uh, people to care more and care more about each other as well.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much. This is a great session. I'm sure people will love it as much as I do. You're such a deep thinker. I love for people to follow you on LinkedIn and see your commentary and things like that.
1: So I mean, this this so is virtual reality, like I can't get it let right, go. <laughs> so if I if why look, so I talked to a few people in, in Africa, in Nigeria and in Ghana. And I didn't know. I mean, I've read about challenges, but when I talk to them directly a whole lot of different understanding because it was coming straight from the source, right? Now, virtual reality, that's not the source of it. So, so, um, so ideally, I would travel to Nigeria and or to Ghana or to some other African countries and just seeing there, get ideas and say, actually, you know, these people have it hard. They don't have... They have to rely on the cloud to do even the most basic things. Then they are very innovative because of that, right? Because not having, but wanting to have makes you innovative. Would I get that understanding without talking to people that are coming from there? Right. No. No virtual reality will give you that. No matter how good it is, it won't. You know, it's like, it's like, I'm used to compare coding and programming. So, coding is to programming what typing is to writing. Right. So it's the same with that. It's the same with that. Like looking at a screen with a lot of information is like reading an article in a newspaper. Do, do you become knowledgeable, no, you become informed, but you don't get it really. You don't get it until you emotionally connect with that environment, with those people, and but let me assure you, it will be very relatable always, always, because we're all people and we all share more. We, it's a lot more than unites us, than divides us. A lot more. And it's just good, but you're not going to get that from a screen. Screen is good when you cannot travel and also, obviously, you get informed. But that's it. You get informed. You do not get knowledgeable Um and in the end, you have to have that personal re- relation or personal conversation with somebody that is from there. And they will learn from you as well. It's it's two-way highway.
0: Yeah. Both I parties th- benefit. I agree. I think, I think the thing that's missing too much is, like, let's develop, like you say, let's develop this tool or this technique because we can make money or do revenue or something else. And it doesn't really... Bring the human in, like what, you know, how does that benefit me as an individual? You know, you should really think about that. So having more of a human centric approach to using technology in ways to help people and not hurt them, I think would be helpful.
1: Yeah, it's it's the, the, this question, what it means for me, what it means for me, what it means for my customers, if, if I'm a business and I have, what it means for my customers, what it means for me, what it means for my department, for my team as well. For my team, does it mean that they will have to work like 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day for months on end? Um I don't know. Um, or or maybe does it mean they will be bogged down in doing mostly boring things because we have to get an outcome, but it means to do boring things all day long. Um you, you get you get to get that meaning before you do it. Um if you're forced to do it. You still have to get that meaning. There's no other way. That's a meaning right there. There is no other way it needs doing. You have to sweat it. You have to sweat it. Okay, I get it. I'm going to sweat it because I understand the purpose. I relate to the purpose. It's nasty. It's uncomfortable. But it's beneficial in the end. But you've got to relate to that. You've got to have that meaning. If you don't get that meaning, what meaning will you get from virtual reality? I struggle to understand that. Yeah, honestly, <laughs>
0: I totally understand. Oh, my goodness. We probably go on for another hour, I'm sure. (laughs) But thank you so much for being on the show. This was wonderful. Um, I'm happy to, you know, chat more with you about, you know, some of your ideas. And hopefully we can collaborate in the future.
1: Sure. Thank you very much, Debbie. I really appreciate your show. I'm an avid reader of your posts and comments as well. And uh, I hope it will get even a higher profile than it is. And you should be on TV. Oh, thank you. Aren't you sweet? <laughs> you should be on TV because everybody understands what you're saying. It's 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 high-hitting, it's hard-hitting, it's deep, it's wide, and everybody understands it unless they don't want to understand. Okay, if you're biased, you really don't want to get it, you're not going to get it, of course. But other than that, everybody understands it. That is what is lacking, mostly to Thank world.
0: you. Thank you so much. All these complexities
1: that are hard-hitting to people because they don't understand it. And with shows like that, they at least understand the fundamentals of what it means for them. So it's educating them.
0: That's a high compliment. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. That's so sweet. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd love to chat with you further. This is great. This is great. I'm sure people really love this episode, as I do.
1: I, I hope they do. I hope they find it useful. And I'm always open for questions and collaboration. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Take care.